Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. We are doing life together. And doing life together is really focused in on uh, the ability to be able to... I can go up a little bit because there's the green line right there. There we go. Is the ability to be able... It's, and, and I like the picture that we have on our website, a picture of a puzzle, where each one in the puzzle fits the proper place, and it's nothing like when you get the body together that it looks a completed puzzle. Uh, anybody here, puzzle, like people, I'm not talking crossword, I'm talking like real puzzles where you put pieces together and you have a scenery or, or something. Anybody here, puzzlers? That's what you do, you put puzzles together, okay? Lori, myself, and Pastor Trish, okay, I guess... We just were the ones who have the extra time. So um, uh, you don't have to. I, if you asked me a year ago, I, I probably hadn't put a puzzle together since a kid. But last winter, I was, it's like it's a winter that just kept giving. Uh, and so we just got fed up and we just started doing some puzzles. Uh, and we actually kind of enjoyed them. We got some really nice looking puzzles. We were too cheap to really go buy. She bought me one for Christmas and that I think was full price. And then we went to the, the, the mission and bought these puzzles. I don't know if you've bought a puzzle from, from a thrift store, but um, they usually have a piece or two missing. That's pretty exasperating. Of course, you don't know that until you get to the end. They do say right on the front, it's the reason you pay $1.50 for them. And they say right on the front, may have some pieces missing. And you hope they don't, but a couple of them we had got right down to the end, and there's the two that are missing. So uh, almost but this doing life together is completing a really a, a tremendous big picture puzzle. Uh, and I like the phrase, the three words, doing, we have to do it. We have to actually, actually, actually be active, action-oriented in doing it. Life, it's about living, and there's something about doing it together. We've been talking about how to be a good neighbor, not just a story about the neighbor, but how can I be that good neighbor? Secondly, we're called to join a family, the family of God. We're not all children of God, created by God, but when we join the family, then we're part of his family, the family. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And growing to be like Christ last week, John chapter 15, about being in the vine, and out of that comes fruitfulness. Today, our text is 1 Corinthians. I invite you, please, to go with me. 1 Corinthians, if you have your Bible, your devices, your phones, your tablets. If not, if you're totally lost, then we have it in front of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. I invite you again, those who are watching on, online, to uh, grab your Bible. I invite you just to maybe mark this text in Scripture. Chapter, four, or chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. I'm gonna, let's do that again, okay? I'm going to go back verse 4 because there's so much to, to unpack here. There are different kinds of spirits or different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes. Okay, you get this gifts, the giftings of God, 
meaning that you didn't earn them. They're a gift from God, just they're yours. But it's from the same spirit. Verse 5, different kinds of service. In other words, service gifts, ministry gifts, but the same Lord. Different kinds of workings, but the same God. You kind of see the Trinity here, don't you? Spirit, Lord, the Spirit, Son, and Father. The same God at work. Verse 7, wraps it all up. Now to each one, everybody say each one. Okay, look to the person either beside you or, or around you and tell them that includes you. Just look at somebody. You might have to point at them. They won't know who you're referring to. That includes you. To each one, all of us, no exclusions, young and old, the manifestation, the outflow of the Spirit is given. It's a gift, remember. It's given for all of our good, for all of our good. So, Father in heaven, help us to understand how this affects us individually this morning. In your precious name, amen. I want you to look up here. I've got a picture here of the circulation, the circulatory system of the body. So it's coming, it's coming. Wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. We're waiting for it. It's coming. There it is. Okay, the circulation of the body. Now, the circulation, the circulatory system, let me talk about it. Because I really thought this really defines 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 7 really well. It's a different way to look at it. But to me, it made sense. I want you to consider the circulatory system which nourishes our human bodies. Blood brings life-giving substance to all cells and excretes noxious wastes from them. Blood transports oxygen. Blood transports protein. Your blood transports salts. Your blood transports every other chemical substance that needs to travel to the body. Your blood it's the transportation there. It's the freeway. Your blood keeps you healthy. Apparently, an adult male contains five liters of blood. Some loss of your blood can take place with no ill effects. For instance, you can give a portion of that. You can go to the blood banks and give some blood. I hope you do. It's a great cause, and you won't really feel a whole lot different, most of us anyway. Uh, so, some loss can take place without ill effects. But if too much of your blood is lost, you'll die. You'll die quickly. Your cells cannot survive without the nourishment provided by blood. Blood is transported by a complex circulatory system of tubes which carry it to the cells where it interchanges materials with them according to their needs. For many years, anatomists believed that the arteries contained air. That our arteries contain air, which would, be, which would be problematic. But our arteries contain air because after death, the arteries are always found flat. Only when there is life in the body does the blood constantly flow under pressure from the heart. So the heart, blood flows, is under pressure, the arteries are full. And it completes the important work. Now, when God created us, God created the human body. It's the body that you have. It's the tent that you have containing you. Body, soul, and spirit. The body's one part of it. Your soul, mind, will, and intellect is the second component. And the spirit, which the Holy Spirit at salvation makes alive. The zoe of life 
at the incoming of his Holy Spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. God created the human body in which that would tent all of the above. But here's the cool thing. When he refers to the family, when he refers to each other, those who are part of his family, he refers to us frequently as the body of Christ. So there's the physical body of Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, the physical body who was born, who lived and who died and was resurrected, the physical body of Jesus. But then the body of Christ is the life-giving spirit of his body, which Christ is the head, spoken of in Ephesians chapter 4. Christ is the head. And so the body is really, you can look around, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are part of what he refers to as the body of Christ. Now, why did he use the word body? Why didn't he just say that you are a people of Christ, you're a denomination of Christ, you're, the, you're, you're even just a, a, maybe a church. And he does, re, does refer to us as a church. But specifically, he calls us a body because he's relating the body, this body, to the physical body that will get this. So we're the body because we are circulation one for another. So I'm a, I'm a person, I've, I very much have a, I have a visual base for understanding. I have to see it visually and then I understand things. And so I picture of this picture here and I begin to picture that each different part of the circulatory system, the body, is different members within the body. You and I, ladies and men, children, sons and daughters, that we're different parts of this body. The body of Christ though. Now, has anybody ever gone to sleep at night? You woke up in the night and your arm was like this. You know, you slept with your arm up and you woke up, and you moved it, and it felt like it was dead, right? Because all the circulation went out. And so it's like dead weight, and it freaks you out. Like, it's just like, <gasps> what's that? And there's, oh, it's mine. And so you drop it down, and the circulation begins to go back in, and then your arm tingles as it goes back in. Maybe you've done it too. If, if I get this, man, when I cross my legs like this, and, I'm, and, and, and it's up high, I'm sitting kind of down on a couch or something. My legs are up high, and then I lose all the circulation on that leg. And you're chatting away. You totally forget about her. You're watching something or doing something, and then, oh, you got to do something quickly, and you drop it, and you start going, and it's dead weight, and you're like dragging it behind, going, come on, come on, and you're trying to get your leg, and if you do something wrong, if you twist your ankle, ooh, that's very problematic because you can't feel it at first. Now, we can relate to that. So it is in the body of Christ. That when the circulation stops in an area, the entire body is affected. The entire body feels it. Now, if you cut that circulation off for an extended period of time, that's, again, very problematic because it may not reboot back into those areas. Those areas actually begin to die. Why? Because they think it's done. And so it begins to die. So you want to keep the circulation going. That's healthy. You also recognize that within a body, if you get bit by a scorpion or a black widow or, uh, God forbid, a rattlesnake, a venomous snake, then you want, to, you, want to, you want to close off that part of the body so the toxins, the infection does not flow because what your body naturally takes it throughout. And it will kill you if it gets to the heart. And so you want to begin to to stop it. We had, we, a couple years ago, we were privileged to go down to Peru and we, um, we did called the treehouse experience where we lived in treehouses for a week. And so we're up at the top of these treehouses in the Amazon down in Peru and, uh, and there were scorpions and venomous snakes, all kinds of crazy things down there. 
And our guide was missing the end of, of his fingers, actually it was his index finger, missing the end of his index finger. And he told the story of a venomous snake uh, that just, just nicked his finger and told us the story how the first thing he did, he chopped the end of his finger off. He just, within seconds, cut the end of his finger off. And then he had, and then all the different things. I'm not going to get into it. That would take too long, and it's a little gross. He survived because he was our, he was our tour guide, but not without being in a coma for two weeks. Uh, and just that, how quickly it moves throughout the body. He said he could feel it when it went outside his arm. He could feel it moving up the poison. He could actually feel the poison moving up his arm. And then you could feel it, it just hit him. So it was like putting the, the paddles to your chest. It just hit him when it went to his, and then he, he passed out. And, and it's just like, wow, I've never heard such a vivid picture of what a toxin can do through the circulatory system. And that's why God takes it so serious when there's infection in the body of Christ that can hurt his body because it's circulating. We have the power to, be, to create a strong body of Christ, a healthy body of Christ, we refer to it, or an unhealthy body of Christ where we're not doing the will of the Father and his spirit life is not flowing through us. We have other life flowing through us. And the enemy of our soul, he wants to impart sickness to the body. Now, I don't want to be a part of that. I know you don't want to be a part of that. But sickness to the body, where there's bitterness and anger and unforgiveness and malicious talk and slander and gossip, and that is malicious and that flows to the body and it's destructive to a body, just like a snake bite would be to our physical body. So we have this picture in 1 Corinthians 12 when he refers to the spiritual gifts. I picture this picture of the circulatory system in the body. We are the body of Christ. Now let's talk about this a little bit, about the significance of what it is to be the body of Christ, just like spiritual blood. So in 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about that we're referred to as the spirituals. Now today we're talking about being shaped. He's developing our shape. God is developing our shape to serve. That's the the theme. God is developing your shape to serve. So welcome it. Let him develop your shape. You know, what kind of shape are you in? Let him develop that shape so that you can serve most effectively. So what does it look like to be developed in shape to serve? Well, the Greek word in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, where it talks about spiritual gifts, the, the, the spiritual, that phrase, the spiritual, in the Greek means, it means that. It means the spirituals. We're called, the giftings are called the spirituals. And that's what it actually means in Greek. It's the power required to perform the task. Now, we're called to serve this world. We're in this world. We're not of this world. But we are for this world. And if we are going to serve this world, the spiritual, the life flow, we need power to perform the task. And... We need to export that which is noxious. The wastes need to go. The things that aren't good for the body of Christ. So he is shaping. And in shaping, not just good is going in, bad has to go out. Nasty has to leave. And the nasties, there's lots of nasties going on. And he is exporting them. To illustrate how God gives these gifts and how they are expected to be used, 
Jesus uses a number of stories. Matter of fact, I was going through the book of Matthew this past week, and he kept referring to the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. You'll see that, the kingdom of heaven. So I went back, and I did this little thing I hadn't done for a long time. In this Bible, I hadn't done it. And so I just marked it, and I marked down 10 times Jesus made reference to the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he would give a story. The kingdom of heaven is like, and he'd give another story. The, you, could, you could put it this way. The body of Christ is like a story. The body of Christ is like another story. The body of Christ is like 10 times in the book of Matthew. Matthew uses very strategic language in it. And so there's one found in Matthew chapter 25, 14, and Luke 19. Now, I'm not going to read these out loud. I'm just going to tell the stories for time's sake. Matthew chapter 25, let me just tell you a little bit about the story of Matthew 25. The story and Luke 19 are very similar. They're not identical. They're similar stories. Two different times Jesus gave these. In the stories, there's a picture of a master. The master's God. He's he's using reference to himself. There's a master in the story, and the master goes on a long journey. And before the master goes on the long journey, he takes what he has and he gives it away. So he takes, in this case, bags of money. And he gives five bags to a person, two bags to a person, one bag to another person. So we learn a few things. First of all, the master has, is a person of me. He can give what he needs to give. Now remember, this is a picture of our Father God. So the master gives to his servants. He has servants, and so that means he has wealth. Not everybody had servants. But he knew the servants. I mean, these weren't, well, you know, what's your name? No, none of that. He knew the servants. Because he gave according to each one's ability. Now think about this. Our master, does he not know us better than we know ourselves? He knows what you need. He knows what you can handle. He knows what you can use. And so he gives, he is able, gives to you, the recipients, because he can. And he knows what you can handle. So he gives to the servants according to their ability, and then he's gone a long time. That kind of looks like us, doesn't it? It's like where we're waiting. The Lord is going to come back one day, but we are waiting for the master to return. And time goes on, and time goes on, and time goes on. It seems like a long time. But he comes, and when he comes, he settles account. To one, he says, well done, and he encourages the one. To the one he gave the five bags of gold, that was basically five bags. One bag's worth three months of wages. If you do the tally, I think that kind of works out. Um, uh, what is that? Five times three. Anyway, five times 15. And then he comes back, and then there's one that he gave five to. Sorry, he gave two, he gave five, and he gave one. He comes back over an extended period of time. And to the one he had given five, he says, he, I mean, he, he's he, well done because he had five more. And so he just pours encouragement upon him. And he says, because of all this, you are a faithful servant. I will put you in charge of many things. And they shared happiness together. They, they kind of got up and they did a, a dance. So they danced together. What a beautiful picture of God's encouraging. He, he loves to just bless. The second one, he also had doubled what he had been given. And he had poured and he had let it work and it just flowed out of him. And so the master congratulated him and blessed him and encouraged him and shared in his happiness. But the last one wasn't so fortunate. The last one came up with excuse after excuse after excuse saying how come he couldn't do ministry? How come he couldn't invest 
in the things given to him. And he had a whole ream of excuses why he didn't do it. The master was not pleased with him. But here's the key thing in some of the things as we begin to observe this story. As we observe this story, note, first of all, the master does not equally divide his resources. He divides them as he chooses. He divides them according to how you can handle them. So here's the thing. It's pointless to look at the person next to you to see how they're doing. You have to look inside because what you've got, they don't. What they've got, you don't. So put your name here. I'm going to put mine, Wayne. Wayne, what have you been given? Because that's what you've got to put up as the measuring line. Wayne, how are you developing what God has given you? The master does not equally divide his resources. He divides them as he chooses. Secondly, the master distributes each according to their ability. He knows what they can handle. We don't even know. He knows what we can handle. And each one was effectively positioned to succeed. God does not give you gifts. God does not, get, does not put you in the circulatory system to fail. He puts you in the circulatory system to succeed. All of us are positioned to succeed. All of us. Every single one. He has not given you more than you can manage. When we say, oh, I can't handle what he's given. You actually can you not only can handle it, but you can succeed. And fulfillment will flow out of that succeeding. You are effectively positioned to succeed. And so there's no point to compare yourself with others. Each is given something. Each is given something. I have a pillow that I um, took from home. I asked Lori if it was okay. So I, I don't know if you can see this. Uh, live streaming. What does it say? A little tricky when it's on three lines, isn't it? It is only actually one word. Somebody go ahead and tell me. And trust it. And trust it. So Lori and I have this on our couch at home and trust it. It's all about that we've been entrusted with something. All of us. And when I look at this, I have to ask, I have to answer a question that's being asked of me when I look at this. What am I doing with what's been entrusted to me? And all of us have to answer that question. What are you doing with what you've been entrusted with? Because we've all been entrusted. We've all been given something. And I like this. And that's why it's on our account. We've all been entrusted with something. The question comes down, how much has God entrusted to you? What did you get? And it's important to come up with some answers to that question. I meet with my SOD group on a weekly basis, School of Discipleship. And this past week, we've been looking through uh, different people in the Bible. We looked at Moses. We looked at David. We looked at the Apostle Paul. And, and in SOD, next week, we're going to look at Jesus. And there's a study as we begin to go through how God has shaped them for ministry. God has shaped them to do and make a difference in society. This past week, just a few days ago, we were looking at the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, he grew up in a Roman culture, a Greek culture, and a Jewish culture. And he, he was top dog Pharisee. He was like at the top end. He was the boss of the Pharisees. And then he had, we call it the Damascus Road experience where he was you know, blinded and 
he went to Ananias and the miracle took place and he, his life was radically transformed to salvation in Jesus Christ. And then he disappeared off the radar for a few years as he sat at the feet of the disciples. Now here is the apostle Paul, a brilliant man, brilliant man, top of his game, top of his career, sitting at the feet of a bunch of fishermen. Peter, James, John, Andrew, you know, these, these fishermen and tax collectors, people like, and, and he brought, he humbled himself, and he learned from these people who walked with Jesus. And then he went out into ministry, and much of our New Testament was inspired by the Holy Spirit through the apostle as he gives us doctrine, and he became that missionary going into the far reaches of the world where nobody was going, and he proclaimed Jesus Christ. But when he proclaimed Jesus Christ, here's the thing I was trying, I'm getting to. He kept going back to his conversion. He kept going back to the moments of how God formed him and, and, and fashioned him and was developing him. He kept referring back to those moments in his life. And the question I had for my saw group is, what were your defining moments? Because if we do not understand our defining moments we tend to lack understanding on where we are going because how he shaped us and is shaping us is for the purpose of how he is sending us. You following? The apostle Paul kept, and he would frequently go back and he would refer to how God shaped him. It was his testimony. So that he would say to them, and that's why I'm before you today. He was standing before magistrates. I'm before you today not because I was a Pharisee. I'm before you today not because of this and that, and I'm from Tarsus and or from Antioch and, and tall of Tars, Tarsus of Antioch. And I'm here before you today because here's what happened back here. God did this, and I was this, and I was a Pharisee, and I was a killer of the Christ, of the church. And then Ananias. I saw again the disciples. He begins to lead up, lead up, lead up. And now I'm in chains. All because, here's the track record. Because, because you're my assignment. You're my assignment. And that's what, so I gave him homework this past week. My homework was, I want you to tell me how God has been shaping you. Go back, look at it. Look at moments, look at childhood, look at the family structure. Look at the environment, the things you had, the things you didn't have. Traumatic moments Moments where you were at a camp meeting, you had an encounter with God. Moments where you doubted and what happened in that moment as he shaped and molded you and put you through the maze. Now, I want you to define those moments because as you define those moments, you're now going to understand better why you're here. Because way too many people, isn't it true? A way too many people are aimlessly wandering through their Christian life not knowing what they're supposed to do. How do you begin to know what you're supposed to do? Take a look back. Begin to watch how God shaped you and developed you and formed you and everything else. Why? Because he has entrusted you with something. As you discover that entrustment, you know why you are where you are. It doesn't mean full-time ministry. It means each one reach one for 2021. That there's people that you're supposed to be reaching. All of us. And this was the story here. This was the entrustment that they had. This was the entrustment. We all have unique and different capacities. 
I don't know why some people are more artistic than others. I don't know why some people can play and some can't. I don't know why some people can draw pictures, paint, others can't. I don't know why some are so good, they're just so natural at throwing and playing and shooting and catching, and others are like, you know, they got 10 hands dangling from them. Some people can throw well, Pastor Trish, and others can't. I don't know if I should say this online. I'm going to, though. I was up on a ladder working on one of our lights. I was right at the top of a ladder, and I dropped. I dropped a butter, butterfly uh, nut, and I didn't want to go all the way. I was lazy. I didn't want to go all the way. Pastor Trish was at the bottom of the ladder. She wasn't holding it, but she was at the bottom of the ladder. And I said, Pastor Trish, would you give me that? And so she stood there, and she held it. I, didn't want, I was too lazy. I didn't want to come down the ladder. I said, would you just throw it up? I'll catch it. Just throw it up. Lori and I do this all the time. You just, I'll catch it. She says, oh, you don't want me to do that. And I go, no, throw it up. Zoom, it went over there. We spent 15 minutes looking for it behind the drum cage over here. Now I realize why she told me I shouldn't ask her to throw it up. Now I'm sure if Pastor Brett threw it up, it probably would have knocked me off the ladder. Some are gifted. In certain areas. And some aren't. Okay, I don't understand how he gifts out, but he does. And he does it for an amazing purpose. His purpose is regarding even the small stuff. Now, I want to say this. The small stuff matters. The small stuff matters. We might think what I've got is insignificant. You might be young. You might be, you know, watching here. You're, you're a child. You're a, a, maybe a teenager. And you think, I haven't, I haven't got much to give. Give what you have. That's all he ever asks. Because there's something you presently have, even as a young child, that can be given away. So the small stuff matters. Even the one who you invested two, it mattered because they were blessed because of the two things that they invest. Everything matters. Everything matters. Everything matters. What I have today, what I possess, the, the things I have, the things I don't have, where I live, the environment I live it in, how I've grown up, all matters. The small stuff. Everybody say, the small stuff matters. It does. The small stuff matters. It really does. It comes down to a couple of things because God is looking for faithfulness and he's looking for trustworthiness. Number one, faithfulness is the ability to persevere for the duration. Just stay with it. When you don't see any benefit, just stay with it. Be faithful, be faithful, be faithful. And secondly, trustworthiness. Trustworthiness has to do with reliability. Are you reliable? Do you say one thing, do another? Or, you know, you start, you quit. Reliability. It's referred to as dependability. It's about your character, about performance. So let's not be like the other servant referred to in Matthew 25 and Luke 19. The other servant. We don't want to be them. That's not the place we want to be. The other servant had an improper view of their master. The other servant was, you know, they lacked foresight. They were not industrious. They were passive. They were paralyzed by fear. They had excuse upon excuse. And what did the master say? They said, you're lazy and you're wicked. Now, yeah, they're lazy because they're all those things. They're lazy. We think that often is just missed opportunity. But God doesn't look at it that way. God looks at that as wickedness. See, often wickedness to us is when we've had these blatant sins. But God actually, listen to this, he actually calls them wicked 
because he neglected what he was given. He had been, everybody say it, he had been entrusted, and he did nothing with it. And God said, you're wicked. It wasn't just, oh, well, too bad, I'm going to give it to someone else. He does, but not after he calls him wicked. It's horrible. Wicked. God views negligence of our human capacities very different than we view them. He takes it very serious. He takes the circulation, the circulatory system of the body of Christ very serious because he knows how neglect, negligence, affects the entire rest of the body. And it's his body that he died for. And so he takes it so serious. When we neglect our God-given capacity, Wow. So the question might be, how might it change the work of the church if our measure of effectiveness was not how little sin was being committed, but how much good, how much we were flowing through the entrustment was being accomplished? So I want to close with these eight points. First, don't compare yourself with others, but each of us have enough spirituals to serve one another. Secondly, God has equipped you, all of us, each of us. Remember, each, we said that expression, All of us have been given to serve. And he's not given you beyond what you can successfully accomplish. Thirdly, great opportunity. You want to know what to do? You say, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Where am I supposed to serve? Here's the answer to that question. Serve wherever there's a need. And there's lots of need. There's lots of need around. And if you wonder about it, just ask one of us pastors. We'll tell you about some needs. And then serve. You just just start. Uh, four, the small stuff matters big time. Number five, perseverance is the ability to remain faithful, serving others over a long period of time. Six, wickedness is tied directly to negligence. Seven, how might it change the work of the church if the measure of effectiveness is not how little sin is being done, but how much good is being accomplished? And lastly, those who are most faithful will find expanded roles in the kingdom of God those who are faithful. I want to close with the scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Consequently, Paul says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens of God's people and also members of his household. In other words, consequently, you have no excuse. (laughs) Consequently, you're no longer strangers, okay? You're in the body now. You're part of the circulation. Consequently, verse 20 built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, 21. In him, who? Christ. The whole building, the body, is joined together, rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, 22. And in him, who? Christ. You two are being built together, doing life together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Amen. Amen. There's a simple song that we sing. It goes like this. I don't know if you know it. It says, Jesus used me, and oh Lord, don't refuse me. Surely there's a work that I can do. Even though it's humble, Lord, help my will. There's the issue. Help my will to crumble. Though the cost be great, I'll work. Now, I'm going to teach that song. If you don't know, I'm going to teach that song this morning. So would you just join us standing? You're going to learn this song. And it's a very simple song. 
goes like this. Jesus, use me, and oh, Lord, don't refuse me. Surely there's a work that I can do. And even though it's humble, Lord, help my will to crumble. Though the cost be great, I'll work for you. Isn't that very simple? Very simple. Let's go ahead and join me. Jesus, use me. And, oh, Lord, don't refuse me. Surely there's a work that I can do. Yes, there is, actually. And even though it's humble, Lord, help my will to crumble. Though the cost be great, I'll work for you. Father in heaven, I pray. I don't dismiss the service. I send each man and woman and teenager out this morning. We are sent to do kingdom work this week. According to the capacity that you've given us, we go to serve others. And in so doing, we serve you. We do that in the name of Jesus, by the power and the strength of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.